This week we read two parshios that of Tazria and Metzora, most of which deal with the laws of Tzara'as. We learn about various categories of Tzara'as, afflicting and affecting a person, him or herself, clothing, and even in certain cases, physical dwellings or homes. There are a lot of details to these halachos, and therefore lots of questions that one can ask. But there's really one big question that we can and must ask. What is Tzara'as? Was it some kind of physical ailment that we no longer have? Or was it, in fact, a spiritual malady, a punishment for sin? There is a group of Rishonim that actually understood that Tzara'as, whatever its ultimate cause was, but it manifests itself as a contagious physical illness. Barbanel, for example, uses this idea to explain the Torah's concern and worry about afflicted clothing. Unlike other physical properties, says the Barbanel, such as metal, clothing, on the other hand, easily absorbs things from the body. And that's why the Torah is concerned that Saras will spread from the body of the Mitzvah, him or herself, to the clothing. And therefore it is to prevent further spread that the Kohen infects suspicious Nagayim, stains, on the clothing as well. Similarly, the Rabag explains the phenomenon of Saras in clothing or in homes based on the science of his day. In his day, scientists believed that any kind of foreign moisture or heat that entered into an item would cause some kind of imbalance in that item and lead to its eventual natural disintegration. An early sign of this process, said those scientists, is red or green growths. Those are colors, the Rabag notes, that the Torah associates with Tzaras. Again, confirming the approach that the Rabag has, like the Abarbanel, that we are dealing with a physical phenomenon which he attempts to explain based on the science of his day. Similarly, Rabbeinu Bachaye explains that the reason that the Mitzorah is Badad Yeshev has to be alone as part of his process of repentance and purification is because in a very real way we are worried about the spread of disease. And therefore that's why he needs to isolate. Furthermore, as part of the purification process, a Mitzorah brings birds, one of which is offered in the sense of being set free El Pnei HaSadeh. The bird is released into an empty field, and the Rabbeinu Bachai explains this is symbolic of the tefillah, the prayer that we offer, that the Mitzorah's contagion not spread and infect other people. So all three of these Rishonim are dealing with different details of the halachos in our parshios, but they share a common assumption that we're dealing with a contagious physical illness. There are many questions that one can ask on this assumption. Many psukim, many dinim, which seem to be inconsistent and hard to understand if we are dealing with a physical phenomenon. Just to give three examples, in Parakibet, Pasukibet, we know that the Kohen only inspects the parts of the body that he can see, but not other parts of the body, such as things which are hidden by the folds of skin. This doesn't really make any sense if we're trying to do a comprehensive investigation looking for a contagious physical disease. Secondly, we learn that when the Kohen is inspecting a home for the possibility of Saras in the house, the Kohen first tells the owner to remove all of his property before the inspection, so that in case, in fact, Saras is confirmed, that won't lead to the destruction of all of the owner's property. But this also makes no sense. If we're dealing with something that was truly a contagious disease, then we'd want to keep all that property in the house, because in fact, if the house was contagious and found to have tzaras, all of it, not only the walls of the house, but the property, would want to be destroyed in order to contain the contagion. Why would we, Dafka, let the owner take his property out if it turns out that the house had 
a contagious disease. Makes no sense. And a third and final example is in Perak Yud Gimel, in Psukim Yud Bet through Yud Gimel, we learn that in some cases, if the lesion covers the entire body, the person is in fact tahor. And some of Farshim are so bothered by this, they're so confounded by this, it seems so counterintuitive, that they compare it to the chok of the para aduma, the paradigmatic example of a mitzvah that makes no sense. If we're dealing with a contagious disease, how is it possible that as the symptoms are getting worse and it's spreading, somehow the person goes from tameh to tahor? These and many other inconsistencies lead a whole other group of Mepharshim and really Chazal themselves to understand Saras not as a physical phenomenon, but in fact a spiritual phenomenon, which was a punishment for sin. If one looks through the statements of Chazal and the Midrashim and the Gemara, we find multiple sins as possible sources for the punishment of Saras, but as you no doubt all know, the most famous sin which Chazal associated with Saras were sins of speech things such as Lashon Hara, Gossip, and Motsi Shemra, Slander. There are some of Farshim, including in our Parshia, the Das Zikenim and Rabbeinu Machaye, who explain that the word Mitzora is in fact a conjugation for the word words Motsi Shemra. Mitzora, Motsi Shemra. In other words, in their opinion, the spiritual source of this malady, the fact that it is a spiritual punishment for sins of speech, Motsi Shemra, is embedded in the word Mitzora. Lastly, the Akedas Yitzchak has a lengthy but very profound meditation on this phenomenon, basing himself on the well-known comments of Unculus back in the beginning of Sefer Bereshis, who translates the Pasuk Vayibach Ba'apav Nishmas Chaim, that God breathed the breath of life into Adam, as Ruach Mamalala. He gave Adam the power of speech, Ruach Mamalala. In other words, according to the Unculus, what makes Adam unique is his ability to speak. That's what makes man human. Ultimately, explains that Kedis Yitzchak, it's really man's intellect which separates us from animals. However, intellect is only fully developed and actualized when it's communicated through speech. Because speech, says that Kedis Yitzchak, is so reflective of our uniqueness, there's a great responsibility to use this power correctly. It is a great power, but therefore it needs to be used with great care. If we misuse this power, says that Kedis Yitzchak, it's not just a sin, not a stam sin like some others might be, but in fact, in a much worse way, in a much more profound way, it is a betrayal of our humanity. It is degrading the essence of what it means to be human. It is, in his mashal, like taking divine clothing gifted by a king and dressing your donkey with it. Hashem gave us the gift of speech, and now we are abusing it. That's why Amitzor is chashav kames, because he's not just not living properly, he is devoid of his essence. He is as if he is spiritually dead. The Pasuk tells us in Parak Gimel, Pasuk Bet, Adam ki be'or bisaro, if a man will have on the skin of his flesh, se'es, o sapachas, o baheres, any of the various forms of taras, which becomes an affliction, v'huva el aron ha-kohen, o el achad mi banav ha-kohanim, he will be brought to Aaron the Kohen, or any of Aaron's sons who are kohanim. Question that a number of the Mepharshim ask on this Pasuk, is why the word Adam, specifically, is used in the Pasuk, and not one of the other synonyms that we have in the Torah that refers to a person, such as Ish, or Gever. This is a Pasuk that's describing a person who has sinned, Ad Kedekach, that he's afflicted with Tzara'as. He's now going to the Kohen to find out and confirm what his condition is and how to get better. We're talking, in short, about a sinner. And yet, 
the word Adam specifically is used to describe this person at the very early onset of the process before he is at all recovered. The Zohar, among other sources, tells us that the word Adam is a term of importance, of chashivus. The Gemara in a number of places says that Adam is the unique expression of the Jewish people. Something very unique and special of the Jewish people is described as Adam. If that's the case, if Adam is such an important word, how can we use that word to describe a person who has sinned, who needs to go to the Kohen? After all, don't Chazal in numerous places, such as the Gemara and Erchin on Daf Tesvav, tell us that the grievous sin of Lashon Hara, which causes the special problem of Tzaras, is a very, very severe and chamur sin, even equivalent to violating all of the mitzvos. It seems peculiar, therefore, to use this word to describe a person who, according to the Gemara, is violating such a serious sin. In short, why use a term of such distinction to refer to someone being punished for such a serious and chamur avera? Rav Nisan Alpert, in his Sefer Limude Nisan, suggests that the prominence implied by the term Adam is referring to what the person does after displaying the symptoms of Tzaras. Says Rav Alpert, a person's greatness, his godless, is not judged by if he has Nagayim or not, in other words, if he's perfect and free of sin or not, or even if a person learned lots of Torah or not, but rather the ultimate clay midah, the ultimate measuring stick for a person's greatness, says Rav Alpert, is based on what he or she does after the nega, after the fall, after they have failed, after they sinned. Does the person do whatever it takes, even when it's hard to become tahor, to improve, to learn, and to grow? Even more significant than whether a person spoke Lashon Har or not, is if the person who has Taras endeavors to fix the problem and better him or herself. If Alper continues and explains that this is indicated by the end of the Pasuk, which describes the afflicted person presenting the symptoms to Aaron or one of the other Kohanim. Aside from determining whether the presenting symptoms are in fact Tzara'as, the Kohen had an additional and even more important role as a kind of religious guide or counselor who advised the person on what the particular malady, what the sin was, what the cause was, and how to uproot the spiritual malady, what the specific problems are. Valpert goes on to explain and acknowledge, and I think in a very powerful way, that to admit one's own failings is hard enough, but to share those private failings with someone else, with an authority figure such as the Kohen, that's even more difficult. And that, he suggests, is why the Torah in this Pasuk uses the term v'huva in the passive tense, implying that the person was almost dragged to the Kohen against his or her will. But therein lies the greatness. A person who is, in Rav Alpert's words, kofe esatzmo, who overcomes his natural inclination to be private, to hide, to overlook the indiscretion, someone who's willing to do whatever it takes, even share this with someone else to get the benefit of that person's wise religious counsel, someone who's willing to even do that, to do whatever is necessary, even if it's embarrassing, all in the name of growing, improving, and having a better future, that, says Rav Alpert, is a genuine hallmark of greatness and worthy of the appellation Adam. He adds a final important point, which I think is also very clever, for lack of a better term, very insightful. And he notes, as we've mentioned previously, that the Torah itself, for all of the many, many, many psukim dedicated to Tzaras, actually never tells us the specific sin that is the source of the malady, of the condition, of the 
spiritual disease of Tzara'as. We know that there is extensive discussion in the Tor Shabal Peh, in the oral tradition, attributing numerous types of sins, and most famously and most often, the attribution is to the sin of speech, Lashon Hara, Motzi Shemra, etc. But none of that's actually in the Psukim of Parshios, Tazriya, and Metzora. At most, we just have hints, Ramazim. The word Metzora can be understood as Motzi Ra, someone who's speaking badly. The word Tzara'as can be read as Tzaros Ayin, someone who looks at others with a negative eye. Why would we gossip about someone, let alone slander them? Because we don't have an Ayin Tov, but rather Tzaros Ayin. We look at them in a very negative, jaded way. So these are hints at the type of uh, person we're talking about who gets Tzaras. But how come none of that is actually in the Psukim? How hard would it have been for the Torah to just have told us what the sin is that caused Tzaras? So in a clearly homiletical fashion, Alderach Drush, but in keeping with his previous interpretation of the word Adam, says of Alpert, this is why there's no reference in the Parsha to the specific sin, just the Ramazim. Because the main message we're supposed to take from these Psukim is Adam. The fact that a person is willing to improve and to grow and go to the Kohen, fix him or herself, improve and become a better person, that's the main thing. The rest, even something as important as knowing what specific sin caused the Tzaras, all of that is just details, or at least secondary in importance to the more critical point of Adam and Huva, being willing to koves atzmo, overcome the natural reticence. We all have that reticence. No one wants to admit they were wrong. Certainly no one wants to admit they were wrong to someone else of an authority figure, someone that they admire. And yet a person is willing to do all that, that is the most important lesson from these partios. Everything else, including some of the specifics of why the person sinned, that can be learned from Tarsh Peh, as it were. But in Tarsh Echsav, Adam, understand, Vuvela Kohen, be a great person, greatness defined as doing anything you can, anything that you must, in order to improve. That's the lesson. Parshas Metzorah begins with the opening and very famous Pasuk, Zos Tia Torah HaMetzorah. This is the Torah, these are the laws of the Metzorah. Chazal in the Medrash Rabbah in Parsha Tadzayin are struck by the fact that the Pasuk does not say Zos Toras Nega Hatzara'as, which would have put the focus on Tzara'as itself, on that spiritual disease on the Tumah, on the phenomenon. Instead, it says Zostaras Hametzora, which focuses on the person who has Tzara'as. And Chazal are under the assumption, or make the assumption, that the reason that there is that shift in language is because the Torah is hinting at the fact that the person, him or herself, is responsible, is the cause for Tzara'as. That is to say that this is a phenomenon which may take place in the physical world. It's something that appears on the person's body, clothing, or home, but the cause is spiritual, and it is the result of the person's own actions. That is to say, it is a result of sin that the person has transgressed. What sin brought on the phenomenon and the spiritual disease of Tzara'as? So initially in Siman Aleph, the Medrash lists six different possible sins, with great elaboration. And this parallels a Gemara and Erchin, which also mentions six possible sins. However, one of those is the one in which, in the very next section, Simon Bey's, Chazal devote their exclusive attention to. And this is the most well-known sin which is associated with Tzara'as, and that is 
inappropriate speech, either motzi shemra, which in a halachic context is understood as a slander, or lashon hara, which in a halachic context is differentiated and refers not to slander, which is inaccurate and dishonest, but lashon hara is even refers to positive things, simply gossiping about a person. In explaining and embellishing, as Chazal often do, the nature of the sin and the importance of avoiding its pitfalls, the Medrash here in Simon Beis has a very, very famous Agadic teaching. The Medrash tells a story about a certain Rochel, a certain traveling salesman, He was traveling in the various cities in the north of Israel, near the famous town of Tzipori, and he was calling out to try to sell his wares, Man boy lemizban samachaim. Who wants to purchase the elixir of life? I have a magic potion. I have something that I can sell you, which will give you long life. And not surprisingly, says the Medrash Odkinale, all the people of the town came out to purchase what he was selling. Among those was Rabbi Yanai, the great Rabbi Yanai, who at the time was sitting and studying Torah in his base Medrash, and he heard this announcement. Who wants the Samachayim? Who wants the elixir of life? So he too called out to the traveling salesman, Amrlei, Ta Sak Zabinli, come here, sell it to me. However, the traveling salesman said to him, Amrlei, Lav Ant de Kavasach. You, a great rabbi, you don't need what I'm selling, nor do people like you. It's not for you, it's for the simple people. Nevertheless, Rabbi Yanai would not be dissuaded. Atrach Alei Salik Legabe. No, he persuaded, he persisted. And eventually the salesman yielded to his entreaties and he said, okay. And what was he selling? What was this Sam HaChaim? A book of Tehillim. Hotzilo Sefer Tehillim. And he turned it to chapter Lamedalid, Posuk Yud Gimel. Heralo Posuk, what does the Posuk there say? Mi Ha'ish HaChafetz Chaim. Who is the one who wants life? And then he continued reading. In the next Psukim, Yudalid, Tesvav, who wants life? The Sefer of Tehillim answers that question. Netzor letzoncha meira, guard your tongue from speaking evil. Sur meira, don't do bad things with your tongue, but instead, asetov, do good. Rav Yanai was so taken by this, that the lesson of Tehillim is, how do you have life? How do you get life? Guard your tongue, don't gossip, don't slander other people. Rav Yanai responded by saying, this reminds me of another Pasuk in Tanakh. In Mishlei, the Pasuk says, in Parachaf Aleph, Pasuk of Gimel, Shomer Piv Ulishono, Shomer Mitzarot Nafsho. If a person guards his mouth and his tongue, he will be similarly guarding himself from the evils, the wickedness, the tsaros, the tragedies, the difficulties of this world. Guard your tongue, protect yourself. The Talmidim are bothered. And they can't understand. I mean, this is not some profound mystery. This is not some Kabbalistic secret. These are explicit psukim in the Tanakh. Surely Rav Yanai was aware of the psukim in Tehillim. Surely he appreciated the psukim in Mishlei before this traveling salesman showed up. Why all of a sudden is he so excited? Amar Rav Yanai, Rav Yanai explains to his students, Many, many years, my whole life, I knew this psukim in Tehillim. But I never realized what it really meant. You know, Rav I was explaining and admitting something which we're all familiar with, that often we are so familiar with certain information, certain texts, this happens in Torah, but it can happen in other areas as well, we're so familiar that our familiarity actually, in a certain sense, blinds us 
to the significance of the information we're familiar with. So he says here also, yes, of course, I knew the Pasuk beforehand, but I never appreciated it until now. I didn't realize it until this Rochel, this traveling salesman, kept on reading. And he said, After all, because what is the next Pasuk? How does it continue? In other words, it's not enough to just uh, speak, to avoid speaking ill, but in fact, we can, in a very positive, in a constructive sense, we can do good things, we can speak positively, we can help people in so many meaningful ways with our tongue. It's not just that we can avoid doing bad, we can do very good things. And I now only now appreciate all of this. And that's why he says, the Torah says in our Parsha, Zos Tietors Hametzora, focusing on the person. That is to say, says Rabbi Yanai, Torah Hamotzi Shemra. This is a lesson for the person who speaks ill. He is the cause of taras, and if he learns this lesson and uses his tongue not for evil, but for good and constructive things, he will protect himself from all ills, including taras. The Pasuk tells us in Perik Gimel, Pasuk Memvav, Kol yimei asher hanega bo yitma tamehu, badod yeshev michutz moshavo. After one is diagnosed by the Kohen suffering from Tzara'as, he or she is removed from general population. And for the length and the duration of their time of being Tamei, Badad Yeshev, they have to be exiled to the outermost limits of the community. When considering this halacha, especially as it compares to other similar halachos of people who are Tamei from all sorts of other forms of Tumah, this aspect of the halachos of Tzara'as stands out as being particularly harsh. The Gemara in Erchin itself already asks, why such extreme measures are necessary when other Tumos may be exiled from some or part of the community, but there's no other form of Tumah, no other person who's Tameh, who is exiled completely from the community. This is a halacha that is unique to the Mitzorah, therefore needs to be understood. The Gemara explains and answers that since the person who became a Mitzorah, presumably spoke Lashon Hara, that was the cause of the punishment, of the Tumah, of the Tzaras. That person sowed the seeds of divisiveness in the community. The Lashon Hara, the gossip, created conflict between Ishvi Ishto, between husband and wife, between friends, between neighbors. And therefore, as a result, Mida Kenegin Mida, the offender is separated from the rest of the community, Badad Yeshev. Alone, he must sit. This in and of itself, is worthy of some contemplation. Too often we make light of the damage of gossip. After all, it's just words we tell us. But the destructive power of Lashon Hara, the Gemara is teaching us, in fact, is so potent that the perpetrator must be placed in a form of solitary confinement. Hopefully by being removed from the company of others, the sinner will fully appreciate the gravity of the offense and be inspired to repent. In this sense, the punishment of isolation mirrors the harm caused by ill speech. However, I'd like to suggest or share an idea in which we can see that this notion, this punishment of Badad Yeshev, not only mirrors the harm that is caused, but also provides us a deeper appreciation of something more broadly relevant to all of us, that is being part of a community. The Gemara in Nadaram Daf Samachdal and Rebez dramatically asserts that a person suffering from Tzara'as is chashuv kames, figuratively among those who are considered dead. Wow, that's a harsh and dramatic statement. What exactly does it mean? 
Is it mere hyperbole? Or is there a deeper message being conveyed? Reb Chaim Shmulevitz, the famed mirror Rosh Hashiva, in a, a remarkable essay, a part of his classic work, Sichos Musr, suggests that the reason that the Mitzorah is considered figuratively dead, Chashiv Kemes, is because he or she is banished from the confines of the community. The death is a result not of the physical pain or even embarrassment that having Saras might bring on the person, but because of this isolation. Chaim Mishavlevitz explains beautifully that an essential ingredient of living a full and truly alive life is the ability to give to others. When banished, not only from one's own family, but from the entire community, the Mitzorah is no longer able to help others. and As a result, he or she is no longer fully alive. The inability to give to others, says Rechaim Shmulevitz, is an aspect of death. In other words, Badad Yeshev leads to Chashuv Kames. Just to be clear, both of these are Psukim, or in a Gemara in the second case, they're independent facts. The Chiddush of Rechaim Shmulevitz is that he's connecting these two. Why does the Gemara say Chashuv Kames? Says Rechaim Velazhin, because of Badad Yeshev. And what's so bad about Badad Yeshev? Because if you're alone, if you're isolated, you can't give, you can't help others. This, Rechaim Shulevitz goes on to explain, is the connection between the Mitzorah and the other people listed in the Gemara who are similarly described as figuratively dead. Chashuv Kames. The Gemara also lists an Ani, a poor person, a Suma, a blind person, and a person who has no children. In all of these cases, one might have assumed that the reason that the Gemara sees their life as being so full of pain is because of what they uh, cannot do for themselves. However, says Rechaim Shulevitz, it's the opposite. It's what they can't do for others. The reason an Ani, a poor person, is Chashif Kames is not because they can't buy for themselves. It's because whatever little money they have, they have to use on themselves. They have nothing left over to give to others, to help others. To be fully alive means to help. If you're a blind person, you are totally dependent on the care and kindness of others. But you're far limited in being able to help people. And of course, if you don't have children, which is the primary vehicle for which we can give, then you will be robbed of the most profound opportunity to give, even though you can help other people, but that will be a massive gap in your ability to help and to give other people. So all four of these, says Rechaim Shulavitz, just like the Mitzorah, combine to convey this powerful idea that to be truly alive is to be able to give and help other people. The lesson that emerges has significance beyond just understanding Tzaras, it gives us an appreciation of being a contributing member of a community. There are many benefits of being part of a community, but none greater than the opportunity to contribute and to help other people. Our lives are enhanced, not by what we receive from, but by what we do for other people. This is true in the more macro level, the larger communities that we are part of, and as was mentioned previously from the Gemara, it starts with the micro-community that we are all blessed to be part of, our families. What we do for them is how we truly live a full life. It's true we benefit from the community, and there's nothing wrong with that. But what gives us true life and gives meaning to our life, what makes us truly alive, is when we can give to those closest to us in the various concentric circles that make up our lives and our communities. It's true, therefore, that while the symptoms of actual tsaras nowadays don't seem to exist anymore, but the truth that is embodied and conveyed through this detail of the halachos of Taras is actually just as timely in our generation as it was in previous ones. If we live merely for ourselves, we are not truly 
alive. Chazal in numerous places, both in the Medrash as well as in the Gemara, make the strong connection between Lashon Hara and Moti Shemra and the general Isurim and damage that a person can do by verbally speaking about other people, gossiping, etc. And the phenomenon of Tsara'as, the spiritual type plague that is sometimes mistranslated as leprosy. While it's clear that this is a very negative thing and has, according to Chazal, this terrible impact of creating this tumma called Tsara'as, it is not necessarily obvious uh, from that fact alone that there is an actual prohibition, let alone a Torah prohibition in Isra Daraisa, to speak Lashon Hara. In fact, even though it's not necessarily obvious from the Psukim, uh, the Rishonim generally do assume that, in fact, there are halachic prohibitions involved. And notably, for example, the Rambam in Hechosteos, in the beginning of Paragzion, actually suggests that there is an Isser Da'oraisa, and he includes three different categories of prohibited speech, all under the same prohibition. Number one is what he calls Rechilus. And Rambam defines Rechilus as gossip, where a person goes from person to person, did you hear what he said? She told me this. I heard this. So there's nothing particularly negative or destructive. It's just the very act of gossiping and running around sharing information from person to person. That itself is prohibited, says the Rambam, under the prohibition of Rechilus. In fact, the Rambam adds, Afal Pishu who emes, even though everything you're saying is true, Hareza machriv es olam. To be a gossiper inevitably will destroy the social fabric, destroy the world. The Rambam continues, however, and he says there's a second category, which is even worse, avan godol mizeh, and that's what he calls Lashon Hara. And that, the Rambam says, is when you're gossiping about true things, but that are specifically negative about a person. If you are sharing negative information about person A with person B, that is Lashon Hara. And that is even worse than Stam gossip. And last, but and definitely least, that is to say the worst of all three, is Motsi Shemra. And that is slandering. And that is, in other words, you are not only sharing negative information, but the information you're sharing is in fact not true. It's a sheker, it's a slander. And that is the third and the worst form. But all three of these, according to the Ramam, are subsumed under the same umbrella of a single prohibition midaraisa. It's interesting that the Vilna Gon, in his commentary to Megillah's Esther, towards the end of the Megillah in Perak Yud, when it describes that Mordechai was Doresh Tov La'amo, what does that mean that Mordechai in his new position was doing good things, saying good things, Doresh Tov La'amo, says the Vilna Gon in his commentary to Megillah's Esther, he was doing Masim Tovim, he was doing good deeds for the people, but he was also treating them with good Midos. And then adds the Vilna Gon, Vahamidos Tovos, Hein Yoser Mikulan, Midos Tovos are even more important than good deeds. Kihem kolulin kolatora. Says the Gra, a very fascinating comment which we don't have time to elaborate on, but in the Gra's view, a very dramatic statement, Midos embody the entire Torah. However, now that he has made that dramatic statement, he certainly caught our attention, the Vilna Gon continues and he gives examples. What are examples of bad Midos? If you get angry, and we see that it's considered very bad because Chazal in one place refer to that as being like Oved Avodah like idolatry. And then the Gra adds one other example, Kalamasapr Lashon Hara Kikofer Be'ikar. Chazal in some of those statements are so negative and so condemning 
of someone who gossips, who speaks Lashon Hara, that it is also a form of heresy. Says the, so that's the Vilna Gon. And he focuses on and categorizes Lashon Hara as a form of Midos Raos, the opposite of Midos Tovos. Interestingly, Rav Asher Weiss, in one of his essays, wonders, is it perhaps possible that the Vilna Gon is arguing on the Rambam? By the Vilna Gon emphasizing that it is Midos Raos, it's bad Midos to speak Lashon Hara, does he mean it's quote-unquote only bad Midos, but not technically Asr? So Rav Asher Weiss actually suggests that he thinks no. In fact, he says, of course it's Asr. The Vilna Gon is saying not only is speaking Lashon Hara Asr, but in fact, it is hashchasas hamidos. It is destroying your own inner character, since the shorish, the root of why do people gossip in the first place, is that they have an ayin ra, or a levra. They look negatively against other people. They're stingy, they're jealous of other people, and therefore that's why they gossip about them. So you should know, says the Vilna Gon, in essence. It's not just that it's usr. <laughs> that's the least of your problems. It's not just usr, but it's also a horrible midah, which is self-destructive. Among the many, many different and fascinating halachic discussions that pertain to uh, the prohibition of Lashon Hara is a well-known story which is said to have taken place and therefore revolves around a halachic debate between the Chafetz Chaim and Rav Yisrael Salanter. When the Chafetz Chaim published his work, his magnum opus, on the laws of Lashon Hara, he wanted Rav Yisrael Salanter, an elder sage, to give an approbation, a haskama. However, Rav Yisrael Salanter refused, and when the Chavetz Chaim asked him why not, he said, I read through the whole book, it's remarkable, but there's one thing you said I disagreed with. You said, the Chavetz Chaim, that if a person speaks Lashon Hara about another person, if they want to repent, it's not enough to just express their regret to Hashem, to do vidui, but they have to ask the victim, the subject, who they gossiped about, they have to ask for forgiveness. Says Rav Yisrael Salanter, there's no way you can do that, because if a person didn't even know you were slandering them, you were talking badly about them, you were speaking Lashon Hara, and you then go over to them and say, you know, I was the one who was speaking Lashon Hara about you last year, but will you forgive me? I feel really bad about it. You're going to be hurting them again. So said the Chavetz Chaim, what do you want from me? It's in Rabbeinu Yonah, one of the Rishonim, counts in his Shari Tshuva. He says, in Lashon Hara, you can only get forgiven if you ask the victim, the person you were speaking about, forgiveness. So Rav Shol Slanter says, I can't agree with it, there's no way, it can't be that in order to get forgiveness for the thing you did wrong, you have to embarrass the person or hurt their feelings again, no way, they agreed to disagree, and he didn't give him the haskama. What a fascinating machlokas. And many different uh, contemporary writers have discussed this, and most pretty much agree with Rav Yisrael Salanter, and point out that if we're assuming, if we're talking about a case where the person who was gossiped about doesn't know that you were gossiping about them, better not to tell them, because that will just hurt them even more. So what should you do? On the other end, isn't, isn't the Chavetz Chaim right? Don't we usually say that you need to ask a person for forgiveness in order to get tshuva if you did a sin of Ben Amal Chavero? So the answer is you must do some kind of vague apology. In general, if I did anything wrong. But don't specifically mention that you gossiped.